0: It's not you, it's me. Mmm, those words. Anybody ever heard that before? It's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. Relationship. That is the classic male Christian response to get out of being in a relationship with the opposite sex. Uh, Honey, honey, I think we need to take a break, but it's not you. It's, it's me. It's what God's doing in my heart. Shut your mouth. That isn't true at all. That's just your nice little line to, to not deal with what needs to be dealt with. Anybody ever said that? I have said that before. True story. When I was in college, I said that. It's not you. It's me. If you're a Seinfeld fan. If you watch Seinfeld, one of the greatest episodes is George Costanza as he learns the routine of delivering It's Not You, It's Me, only to be eating in a cafe and have his girlfriend dish out the line to him. We need to break up. But don't worry, George. It's not you. It's me. And George says, well, how are you going to use my line on me? It's one of the funniest Moments in Seinfeld, I, if you've never watched Seinfeld, sorry, I know I'm dating myself here, but George Costanza it just is up to no good all the time, and he gets dished in this moment in, the, in the, the famous cafe that they always eat in. His girlfriend breaks up with him, and she uses his line, it's not you, it's me. It's that thing that we say when we just don't really oftentimes want to say what we really mean it's a nice sounding line but deep down in our hearts most of the time what we really think is it actually is you and it's not me you got issues i don't really want to tell you i don't want to hurt your feelings so i'm gonna i'm gonna take the humble road here it's me even though that's not what you think and so this morning Here's what I want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to take a pin, and we're going to pop the balloon this morning, and I've got bad, really, really tremendously bad news to begin the Sunday morning message off with you. It actually is you. In case you are deceived into thinking that all of our relationship problems, not just girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, but just relationships at large, oftentimes the problem always seems to lie elsewhere. I've got bad news today. 99% of the time, the problem lies right here. And so with all truthfulness this morning, I think we can all say, it's not you. It is me. In fact, I want you, let's say that together, shall we? It's not you, it's me. One more time, it's not you, it's me. Theodore Roosevelt has a famous quote, and he says it like this: "Regardless of if you're a fan or not, and he says, "If you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit for a month." <laughs> I love that. And for the most part, it's pretty true, isn't it? We are really great at creating our own storms and our own problems. And today, one of the things that we're going to talk a great deal about, um, Valentine's Day is, is what, two days away? It's one of those holidays that's dreaded and celebrated. Some of you here are thinking, boo to Valentine's Day, down with it. I'm going to get my friends together and we're going to go out, you know, and we're going to celebrate, you know, exactly. We've got people who are doing it right now. They're like, yes, that's exactly what we're doing. Some people are going out with their their girlfriend or their boyfriend or their husband and wife. Or if you're like me and you've been married 10 years, you don't even celebrate Valentine's Day anymore. You just don't even really do that. Maybe that was Amy and I, my wife. Our parents never got into Valentine's Day that much. So guess what we're not having a message on today? It's not on relationships so you can do one of these if you're single today. This is not on how to find a spouse. This is not on how to be a better spouse. This is actually something that we rarely ever talk about. We talk about how to be a better leader, how to be better employees. We talk about being a, a, a better husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, student. The list goes on. We've got better everything, but rarely do we actually talk how to be a better friend. We just don't talk about it much. And I have further bad news to tell you, only before we start getting to the good stuff, is that we actually have a friendship epidemic in our nation right now. More than ever before in the history of America, men, statistically speaking, say that they have no friends that they have no one that they could call that's a man if they are in trouble. If their son, for some reason, you know, got, what, got thrown in jail and they needed somebody to bail them out and they were out of town, who would they call? Do they have a, a friend that's a guy that they could just lean on in a, in a time of trouble? Very few have deep and abiding friendships anymore. Now, think about this for a second, because before we get into the, into the message and the, the, the text itself, just think about it for a second, because some of you are sitting here, and you're thinking, man, I got, I got so many friends. I've got this friend and this friend, and I've known this person for, for so long. And, and for some of you, that's true. Some of you have packs of friends that you've known for a really long time, maybe in this church, but for the vast majority of you, that's not true. And think about just the, the cycle of life now. You, 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 you don't stay in the same house that you grew up in anymore. Now, growing up in the 80s, I had two homes I'd ever lived in. And when we finally moved, I was still in the same high school, same elementary school, and the same people. We literally moved like half a mile to a new house. Nowadays, people are moving all over the place. And so you're ripped in and out of communities and relationships and neighborhoods. And, and so even young Young children can have a difficult time engaging in real, abiding, deep friendships. But then you you go to college and you have this insulated bubble. If you went to college, excuse me. Uh, If you didn't, no worries. But if you went to college, you've got this insulated structure of, of nothing but young people around you. And so at no point in your life... Up to this point, are you really forced to develop the skills required to engage in godly friendships? You just find people because you're surrounded by people. And then you graduate and you enter the workplace. You start working. And you do what everybody starts to do. You start cranking hours. You start putting in on both ends of the candle, so to speak. Am I right? You're working super hard. Then maybe you get married. Then you start having children. And lo and behold, you find yourself in a place where you no longer have the capacity to just make friendships the way that you used to. And it's really, truly easy to find yourself lonely. Even though Facebook says you've got 650 friends you're drowning in what we would call a sea of loneliness. Statistically speaking, more people say they are lonely than ever before in the history of our country. Why is that? Because we're isolated. We're more connected than we've ever been, and we're more lonely than we've ever been. And so this morning, while I can't just wave a wand and say, God, bring these people friends. What we can do, rather than, than focusing on the issue on the outside, we can begin to focus a little bit on how God would prepare us to become the kind of friend that we're looking for. Does that make sense? Oftentimes it's always an other person issue, but what if you set apart in your heart to become the kind of friend that you were looking for? The kind of friend that you needed. The kind of friend that we see laid out in Scripture. The kind of friend that does what? Sticks closer than a brother or a sister. Doesn't actually say that, but I added it. (laughs) You guys with me this morning? I'm going to take this one step further as we begin to open Scripture. Actually, I'll come back to that in a minute. Turn to James 2, 23. Because oftentimes in moments like this, if we're not careful, it sounds like something that I'm just maybe drumming up. Does God actually care about friendship? Does he care about the kind of friend that you are? It's not you, it's me, but does God really care about me in this moment and in this setting? This doesn't seem like a really significant or big deal. So we're going to just read down the line here, a couple of verses, a few texts to see what God says about friendship, or more importantly, what kind of a friend and friendship we see people having with God. James 2, 23 says that Abraham, the father of faith, let me say that one more time, the father of faith, the father of your faith, you're sitting here today. Largely because of the actions that took place because of this guy. They were fulfilled through Jesus. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. If at the end of my life, somebody was etching out my my tombstone, and they couldn't think of anything else to say but to say, this guy whew, was God's friend. What an amazing thing to be said about you and your life. Exodus thirty-three, eleven. this is speaking of Moses. Uh, scripture says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Like the way I would be talking to somebody on the front row. Hey man, where are you going to eat after church today? Yeah, this and that. Face to face. The God of heaven and earth would speak to Moses this way. How's your day going? Good. How's yours? Like one speaks to a friend. Then you have, you've got Job. We won't even read about all these people. Job. Enoch, Noah, all of them referred to as God's friends. Then you have Peter, James, and John and the 12, but specifically the three of the apostles, Peter, James, and John, they were known as having a special, deeper relationship with God. They were known as his friends. And Jesus says, I no longer, in 15, John 15, 15, he says, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, calling you friends. Attract. Because most of us still struggle to relate to God as a friend. Most of us us relate to him as a servant. And that's actually not what God is calling you. That's not what he is speaking over you. And it isn't the kind of relationship that he even desires for you. Great that it started there. But at some point, You should grow in depth and maturity, and that relationship should look far less like servitude and far more like friendship. God has called you His friend. He calls me His friend. And I have to tell you, even in preparing this message, that's hard to accept sometimes. That's how God thinks of me. That's what God desires of me. And if I'm going to become the kind of friend that God is asking me to be to the men and women around me, maybe I should take a glance, a look at what godly friendship looks like in the first place. Anybody ever been a crummy friend before? Guilty. And right now, in our country, in our community in our families, you know what we really need? Godly friendship. Many of us are void of it. And so this morning, we're going to start to do something about it. Here's what we're going to do. God values friendship. I know that is is just a mind-blowing big idea this morning. God values it, and He presents Himself as such. But here's the thing, I'm going to drive this a little bit deep, deeper. Did Anybody grow up on, I'm going to hurt myself here, TV dinners? Anybody ever do TV dinners? I see. Oh yeah, I see some hands raised. TV dinners were the jam when you were growing up. In the 80s, you'd get, you'd get the, it was like the little TV tray. Anybody have a TV tray? You know, and you'd, you'd have the TV tray and everybody, you wouldn't, you wouldn't sit at the dining room table, you'd go out into the living room, and when it was TV dinner time, it was just... It was on because you knew you were going to watch something like Long Order with the Family, you know, or Matlock rerun or something like that. It was, we got, it, we got a little extra TV time. We're going to pull the cellophane wrapper off of the TV dinner that's just been microwaved. It's going to be glorious. If you know how those even started, they started in the 50s. There were 250 tons of Thanksgiving turkey left over. I forget what company it was. And they're like, well, what should we do with it? Let's stick it on an aluminum tray, put some ceiling over it, and try to sell it to people. And they sold $25 million in the first year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to hurt you a little bit this morning. TV dinners aren't good for you. They're not healthy for you. They offer convenience, but they don't offer much more than that. Now, are you just gonna, are you gonna shrivel up and die because you've had a TV dinner? No. Is it better than nothing? Yes. But this is the depth of most of our friendships. It feels a lot like the the depth and maturity of a TV dinner. They're they're, they're about as shallow. They're they're casual relationships. I have a sea of casual friendships that operate kind of like the the, the peeling off of the TV dinner. It's nice. Got just a little bit of turkey, a little bit of maybe some cranberry sauce there, and a tiny little bit of stuffing. But is it really Thanksgiving dinner? No way. No way. I, we, we started baseball practice with my son. And so we've been burning the candle all over the place. I've been tired. We had life group, which you should be a part of one, Friday night that went long, which was great. And then early morning Saturday baseball practice. And somehow in between, I fell asleep Saturday afternoon. Had one of those Saturday naps. You know what woke me up? The smell of something glorious from my kitchen. I literally smelled it wafting up the stairs. I thought, what is that? Surely that couldn't be a TV dinner. And it wasn't because a TV dinner doesn't smell like that. You know what it was? It was a crockpot recipe. And the difference between a TV dinner and a crockpot recipe is exactly what we're looking at in terms of needing depth and maturity in our relationships. Oh, you can have the sea of casual moments over here, but what you really need is some time investing and soaking and doing life in this little environment with the same people growing and maturing into the aroma of Christ. And we miss it. I know all of you are basically dying to go eat lunch right now. (laughs) Read this story with me. Turn to 1 Samuel 18. 1 through 4. My favorite picture of friendship in all of Scripture is this, between two guys named Jonathan and David. And I love this. It says that Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And from that day, Jonathan's father, Saul, who was the king at the time, he kept David with him and didn't let him return home to his family. He liked that guy. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. We're seeing a picture here that doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense to us. You've got Saul that's king, and his rightful heir to the throne is his son, Jonathan. And Jonathan becomes friends with David, so much so that he loved him like he loved himself, and he made a covenant with him. And he began to take off his armor, and he took off his weapons, and he gives them to David as a sign of friendship but not just any kind of friendship, not, not TV dinner friendship, crockpot friendship. And he recognized something here. As he's giving him his sword and his tunic and his belt, he's recognizing that the throne that rightfully should be his is going to be passed to his best friend, David. We see the heart of true friendship here. Let's keep going on. 1 Samuel 20, 12 through 15. Just a little more context. Rather than being envious, Jonathan submitted to God's will, and he sacrificed his right to the throne. So then we pick up in in chapter 20. Lots happened. Saul the king is threatened by 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 David, Jonathan's best friend. And so Saul has it out. He says, I'm going to get this guy killed. I'm going to kill David. Take him out. And so Jonathan says to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, Jonathan, ever so severely if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And David, please do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of your enemies. So here we see Jonathan. You're going to see that this, this is a picture of Jesus. It's going to point us to Jesus as our true friend here in just a second. You might already be picking up some of the breadcrumbs. But understand, the rightful heir to the throne. Yet here he is stepping in between the wrath of his father and, this, and, the, and the, the servant David. And we begin to see a picture already of Jesus and what Jesus does for us. Giving us a true picture, the heart of sacrifice, the foundation for any good and godly and righteous friendship. We see Jonathan stepping out from his throne to have relationship with the person who is under the unrighteous wrath of his father. And like this picture, we see Jesus forfeiting His throne, leaving His kingdom, and stepping into relationship with the one who was under the righteous wrath of His heavenly Father. Oh, they're not perfect pictures, but they begin to sell us, they begin to show us a picture of Jesus as our true friend, a friend like Jonathan. Jonathan. So what happens is Saul is after my man, David. Daddy-O is on a rampage. And Jonathan is doing everything he can to check his dad into the boards, to rebuke him, to pray for him, to make him think twice. But there's no reasoning with Saul anymore. And so Jonathan and David get together, and and he lets David know, my my dad is trying to kill you, but you know what? There might still be a chance here. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to my dad one more time, and then I'm going to come out to this field with my bow, my arrow, and my servant. And I'm going to shoot some arrows at my target. And if you hear me yell that the arrows are to the side... For my servant to find then you'll know that it's, it's all good and that peace is in our kingdom, that you can come back. But if you hear me yell to my servant, go a little bit further. There you'll find the arrows. You'll know, David, that you can never come back. Whew. And Sure enough, the events unfold, and Jonathan rips that arrow back, and he shoots those arrows, and you hear him yell, To the servant, it's just a little bit further. So David and Jonathan know this is it. Best friends. It having to go separate ways. Verses 41 through 42. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone. He bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. I don't know if you've ever had a friend honor you in that kind of capacity. And I don't mean bowing down before you. That was awesome. That was very customary at that time. But the honor that's being shown here is emotional. It should grip us. It says, they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. See what we see more than anything about this in this context of friendship is we see this the value of sacrifice And it's the very thing, even as I'm putting this message together, the difference between TV dinner and crock pot, the difference between having a casual relationship and beginning to grow into the kind of David and Jonathan relationships that you and I need is this little but very big word called sacrifice. See, most of us get to a place in our life where we're simply unwilling to sacrifice the things that we find important to have the relationships that we actually truly need. Let me put it this way for you. Because I wrestle with this. I wrestled with even whether I should be the person to speak to this issue in our church, in our community. You know why? Because... I am really good at relationships over here. I mean, I can do it all day. I love meeting new people. I love shaking hands. I love saying hi. But you know what happens when it begins to come over here? I begin to find this process to actually be very, very difficult. And one of the biggest reasons is as a a man that's married and a man that has four kids, I find it difficult to allow the time needed for that recipe to marinate, to blossom, to grow, to develop. It's difficult for me. My time is given to the church. My time is given to Uh, to leaders in the church. My time is given to, to different things. I'm working on different projects, to kids and to sports teams and all these things. And I'm telling you right now, church, if we don't learn to make some of the necessary sacrifices that we need to make in order to move beyond these kind of relationships, we're going to be missing out on some of the most beautiful things that God has for us. I'll speak specifically to, to the men here. Men need relationships with other men. And it's tragic that when you Google this story of David and Jonathan, one of the things that gets put right at the top of the list in your Google search is that this is a homosexual relationship in Scripture, which is, which is laughable and the poorest translation of Hebrew, might I add. But my point is this, that we are so starved at having genuine, emotional, deep relationships that the only way we can understand this is it must be romantic. And that isn't true. Men, if you are married today, there are relationships that you need that your spouse isn't there to fulfill for you. Ladies, wives, if you are married today, there are, there are relationships that you need that your husband shouldn't be fulfilling. That doesn't mean that they're not the perfect partner for you. That doesn't mean that that is not the, the right union in the eyes of the Lord. But what it means is there are, there are things that only guys can do. And there are things that only ladies can do. And we need friendships that are deep, that are real, that are true that allow me to look at somebody in the eyes and vice versa and call me up and call me out and to know me and to know when I've got a dark thought racing through my mind. The only way we have that is by knowing each other. The challenge is is that many of us, our relationship with God lives right here. It feels like the TV dinner far more than it actually does the Crock-Pot. We have our little Bible app, and we share our Bible verse of the day. We send out the little picture, and it's nice. And that's what it looks like for us to engage with our Heavenly Father. A five-second TV dinner. And the microwave, beep, open the thing, peel the layer off, got it, and I'm on my way. Is there anything inherently wrong with that? No. But God would desire something deeper and richer. And that relationship with Him is to show us the way to have relationships here depth, emotion, real, sacrifice. God, I would do anything for more of your presence. What do you need, Lord? What what can I do for you, Father? How might my life be a blessing to you? See, God, it's not you. It's me. And whatever I need to adjust, Lord, I'm willing to do it. And while my relationship with other men and women is not the same positionally as that of my heavenly Father, what it does is it reminds me that what I need more than anything is to be humble before my fellow brothers and my fellow sisters. It's not them, it's me. What can I do for you? How can I be a blessing to you? How can I help you become stronger? How can I look into your eyes and know you better and more fully and us be a community of men and women who truly know each other and represent a heavenly father who sent his son like a good friend to step out of his heavenly kingdom that we might have relationship with him That we might not just be called His servants, but that we might be His friends. That's what I want. It's also what I need, church. And I want you to know something, that I, I haven't figured it all out yet but I'm working towards it. I'm working on it. I'm working on being a better friend because that is what God is inviting us to be. His friends and friends together. Father, we pray today. Lord, we thank you that your spirit is here and your presence is that is, God, inviting us into deeper relationship with you. God, we hear you. We hear you knocking on the door of our heart, God, to know you better and more, more deeper, and more rich relationship with you, God. And God, we also hear you pushing us into relationship with one another. Today, we, are, we do not fight you, God. We hear you loud. We hear you clear. We hear the gentle voice of our good and heavenly Father drawing us into relationship today. If you're sitting here this morning, we always want to give you an opportunity if you know that God is knocking on the door of your heart and that there's something that there's been a lack of depth Maybe there was depth and it was you've just lost it somehow, some way, and there's a sacrifice that needs to be made, and more, more time given to him, more time given to that relationship. And you know right now this is your moment to do that and to declare it. I want you to pray with me. Raise your hand right now and say, God, in the name of your son Jesus, I pray for your strength and your power. To be a better friend, to know you more deeply and more richly, just to know you